couple things before Pastor Meg comes up and shares. We're going to introduce you to uh, some friends, missionaries. We've been in this missions theme for a while, honestly, back into the spring. The Lord's really been stirring us up to be a missions church. We want to have our, have our hearts stirred for what stirs the Lord's heart. So we shared a lot about that during my time in, in Southeast Asia. And we've got some friends that are also from Southeast Asia. Is that right? Is India considered Southeast Asia? South Asia, okay. Yeah, I guess it would be. Southeast is the other direction. All right. Can, can you stand up and we'll introduce your, your, your beautiful family. This is Andrew and Morgan Street. They've got six boys. Y'all say six boys. Man. Woo! Natural encounters for them to speak life into people. And those opportunities get frustrated in those offices, Lord, that they would stop and turn those faces back to you again and again and again. Lord, I thank you for their time today. Thank you that they took time to share with us about what they're doing. Lord, thank you for awareness of your body all over the world. We are part of the body of Christ. We don't want to build our own mountain. We want to be part of who you are calling us to be. We love you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, I need my tea. And my glasses. Y'all probably want me to get my glasses. And a book. I only grabbed, like, I mean, I go everywhere. When I was a kid, um, some of my friends used to, well, I think I've said this before, called me Mama Meg, because I, like, carried stuff everywhere. Like, if you needed a Band-Aid or something, I probably had it on me. I'm going to transition here to try to do this. All right. Look at that. That was so smooth, Andrew. Like, you wouldn't have even known had I not said something. If I can't find the microphone later, y'all can say you stuck it back there. All right, man, Jesus, thank you for the last six months. Okay, guys, I don't know. If y'all are new to King's Church, then you're not necessarily catching the big vision. So I often, Brad and I try to pull us back to the big vision so that we can get the little vision of where we are right now. But um, all through the spring and through now, it has just been coming up again and again and again of um, different ministries around the world. Where is the Lord working in the world? Not just right here. He, I think he's telling us, and I've said this again and again, it's time to lift our heads. It's time to lift our heads and to look up. Look up. When you lift your head, you can't see your feet. You know what I mean? And so when you start walking and you're looking ahead, you have to walk in trust that whatever you've saw there is going to be there when you get here. Does this make sense? And, and I feel like there's been a season that it was time to look up and to trust God and to choose some of that. And I have, I mean, I have all this stuff. I'm so excited. Jesus. I'm excited because I think he is taking us um, into a time of hearing more of each other's testimonies and hearing what he's doing in the world. So sometimes people will come in and you might be like, well, how do we know these people? What is the, what is the connection in here? And I just want to keep pointing us back to the global body of Christ, the global body of Christ. When we start to feel isolated and on our own, or we have chosen isolation and we've chosen to look down and do this, I think sometimes we start to die because we start to forget that we are called for something bigger and something better. Even if our own expression of this is small and intimate and personal, what we're doing here, we keep one, one part of us here and one part of us out here. Does that make sense to you guys? So I just want to keep, um, keep listening in to the heartbeat of God. 
And I want to share a little bit of my own testimony this morning about something that the God has been doing in me. And I believe that it's something that we can all take some steps away from because it's, it's where he's been speaking to me for a while. And uh, so I heard this guy started a sermon not too long ago, and he was like, well, I don't normally title my sermons, but if I did, and he went on to tell it. And so I was laughing because um, I had actually written something at the top of, of my paper. And so I, uh, I also don't usually stick with notes very well, but I'd written some thoughts out, and I didn't want to miss them in my process of just, you know, verbal diarrhea that I can do, you know, just talk, because Meg can do that. But I really want to hit some specific things and be careful on our time. But I was thinking of what I want to call the great exhale. <sighs> can y'all just exhale with me? Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> this is a perfect time if you need more coffee. Not the restroom, don't leave. But if you need coffee or something like that, you know, feel free to do that. You know, it's a family zone in here, you know, but like stay close so you're listening. Um, but I'm just thinking of the great exhale because so often we can run so fast in our lives. And in the last couple of years, we went from being like, stand still, stop, to now pick everything back up that you can do and keep going. And I keep reading different doctors and studies that are like, your brain's not there. The whole world came to a standstill stop. And the whole world is trying to pick back up and keep running. And the brain has not caught up. It just hasn't. I'm not sure our brain was ever caught up. I mean, I think when we laugh and we're like, oh, we have to keep all the plates spinning and we have to keep all this stuff going, I think sometimes that was us running away from stuff, not running towards stuff. Sometimes we stay busy so we don't actually have to catch up to where we really are. Have ever, any of y'all ever lived in those moments? Am I the only one? Y'all are a tough crowd this morning. It's silent out there. So, Into the Wilderness, a study on gratitude and rest, lessons I've learned by stepping away. So, Brad and I have just gotten back from several weeks away. If you hang out at King's Church long enough, you're going to notice that we do this probably every summer. We will be gone for most of July. It usually happens, but our, our whole team tends to take off. You'll see us in and out, popping on and off June, July. Hopefully, we're all back by August. We're back by August, right, Linda and Jim? Are we? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> So we all start to pop back in before too long, but you'll see that it gets a little lean because I think the idea of stepping away is super important. For almost 20 years, there's been a place that Brad and I have gone that the Lord has used like a threshing floor in my life. I'll explain what I mean by that a little bit long later, but a threshing floor, which is a place of separation. I think we all need a threshing floor. We all need a place of exhale, a place that gives us space to examine our lives and to choose our next path. Not just keep going, but to choose. You know, you do have the right to choose things in your life. Sometimes I think for me specifically as a mom and owning a business and doing different things, sometimes you just feel like you're reacting, right? And not really responding and choosing things. So we, I think we need a place in the wilderness, a true wilderness experience. It works like a threshing floor. The great exhale. So a lot of people will ask me when we come back, several of y'all have this morning, which is totally normal and okay. How was your vacation? 
how was your vacation? So I think in my mind, and, and I would guess most Americans' mind, we step away for a vacation to do three things. We feel our mind, our body, and our soul catch up to each other, right? So we're going to step away. I am here to say that I think the American version of a vacation may or may not be, depending on the season and what the Lord says to you, may or may not be recreative for you. I think many times, many people in America do vacations that are just more of the more. Specifically, I'm thinking about Disney World. And I have lots of friends who do this. They buy the little ears with the bow for each one of their kids, and they all buy matching t-shirts that's like Mama Mouse and Daddy Mouse. It goes all through, and they have their matching t-shirts, and they've saved up, and they're going to do their great big summer vacation to Disney World. If you've done it, I'm not judging. My children would love to do that. And part of me would love to do it at some point, probably not over the summer, maybe not, I don't know. The more I think about it, I talk myself out of it every time. But there's lots of lines. I don't do lines. I really don't do a lot of people. I don't know. So, but they do all this, they run, run, run to get there, and then guess what they do when they get to Disney World? They run, run, run at Disney World. And it's like, how many different desserts can you eat? And how many, have y'all been there? I mean, it's like, I have not been there in like, I don't know. 35 years. But I do remember the Polynesian, um, some house that had a restaurant in it and the ribs and the food at this Polynesian restaurant. Like I dreamed about it for years. And in Northern New Mexico, you're not going to get Polynesian like ever. So like, I've never tasted it again. And, but it was so good. But it's like, I remember my parents were like exhausted and poor after Disney World. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was like, you could just see like the money, like you were, cause you're spending everywhere. So you spend emotionally, you spend mentally, you spend your finances and they ran, ran, ran. And it was a wonderful time. We did it once. My parents' idea of vacation was very different the rest of the time. Maybe my kids will get it one time, maybe. And, and so, but we just run. And I think what we do as Americans, we decide that we need to have some self-help, right? Here's the other side of let's pull together. Let's do yoga or diet, drink more water. If you're a female, how many times, like, let's go get a mani and petty because that's self-care. Let's set aside. I'm not saying I don't love a good mani and petty. Maybe talk coffee with a friend. Basically, we look for ways to be served. Do you guys recognize this? Like, we look for ways for somebody else to take care of me so that I don't have to take care of anything at the moment. And this gets my question, what if we have it backward? What if we have it backward? What if this season of life, especially midsummer, mid stress on our brain, that's actually not necessarily what God says will bring you into God's rest? What if? What if the way to cut anxiety and stress is not tuning out, but tuning into something different, being intentional with ourselves and seeking His definition? So my friend Jackie came and visited, Jackie and Bill. They came to the place we were at. Um, they meant to come for two nights. I think they stayed five? Four. Four. Um, four nights. Really? Only two extra nights? It seemed like a really long time. Okay. It did. So, so they came and they stayed a couple nights and then they stayed an extra night and then they stayed an extra night and they hung out with us. And the day that they were leaving, Jackie was like, you really need to hear this song. So Bill pulls it up. And in the middle of the song, this woman starts giving a testimony. I don't know who's saying it and I don't know where it's from. If you're interested, ask Jackie. Oh, I shared it once. Oh, you did? 
Oh, my word. Oh, good. There we go. But she was talking about how gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist at the same time in your brain. Do you guys remember that from last week then? Because I didn't get to tune into the whole thing because we were working. So, um, but gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist in the brain at the same time. Also, different words, but the same thing. Stress and thankfulness cannot exist at the same time. All right? One more definition really fast. How about this? Fear and peace cannot coexist in your brain at the same time. It can't. Fear and trust cannot coexist in your brain at the same time. They can't. Now, I will say this. I've done a lot of study on trauma responses in brain. I love, I love reading, studying what the science says, what people say, what neuroscience, all this stuff. The world doesn't give us a lot of hope in some of these areas. Once there's like trauma, they're like, oh, now you have trauma. I'm like, well, okay, but God says something else, doesn't he? He says that we can choose because we have the will, so we can choose. And then we have God who can step in and tell us, read 1 John, read 1 John, read, you're free. Did you notice, though, that in, in Andrew's testimony that he didn't read it one time? He didn't even read it two times. Now, I'm just going to tell you with my little brain, if God had told me read something once and I didn't get satisfaction and, and I felt like I had put in my bit and he, I didn't get it, and then he said read it again and I had to do it again, I think at some point I'd be like, God, when are you going to show up here? But that's me being honest. But he did it a whole nother time. He read it a whole nother time. Sometimes I think God wants to challenge us to sit in something longer, to absorb something more to rest in a different way. And I think you were resting in his word is what I heard. So I've discovered in the busyness of day-to-day -day life, it's easy to forget to be intentionally thankful for three things, what I have, where I am, and who I'm doing life with. I have to tell you though, every time Brad and I step away from KC, when we come home, I just find myself in tears that morning in worship. I love you guys so much. I'm so thankful for your heart. I'm so thankful for the people that we co-minister with and people that are serving our children right now, the people that are on vacation right now. Y'all are so beautiful. I think part of it is that we are all trying so hard to do a culture of intentionality you know, wanting to be present on purpose, wanting to do stuff on purpose. And I want us to help raise the bar in that a little bit. So I mentioned the place we went away. Let me give you just a couple minutes. It's called Indian Springs Holiness Campground, okay? And if you look at Brad and Meg, you might be like, you guys love this place this much? I do. But the story was a little rocky to begin with, all right? So about 20 years ago, just under 20 years ago, Brad and I had accept, accepted a position to do youth ministry and worship ministry at a church in West Virginia. And um, we had packed all our stuff. We had quit all our jobs. We had been renting the same house for a number of years. So we turned in our keys for that. And, um, and we had the moving truck coming the next day. And the Lord had been speaking to me. And I had spent most of a week literally laying on my face in between work shifts. I was in radio at the time. So when I wasn't working or on air, I kept coming back to this this. Um, 
room that was in the seminary building that our radio stations were also in, and I would just lay on the floor. And I was actually, because I didn't want to disturb anybody, I laid up next to the baptistry behind the chairs for the, the first row of chairs for the choir. There was a spot. And I just kept laying this bright blue fabric, blue carpet, and it was very blue. And I, probably really dirty, but my face was just there. And I kept just saying, Lord, I know, I know this isn't where you're sending us, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I kept telling Brad, I mean, I was like, I was just torn up inside because I knew that we were supposed to be walking in this direction, but that wasn't the church we were supposed to be pastoring or, or working at and that there was something wrong, but I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. And I like to work things out. So I was in great turmoil because I couldn't figure it out on my own. I just knew that I was picking up on something. So the night before the moving trucks came, um, Brad received an email and the church had just gone through a massive church split after hiring us. So much fun. And they were like, we still want you to come, um, but we're going to like have to take your pay way down. And, um, and by the way, like all these people that you met that hired you, they're not here anymore. And anyway, it just basically shifted everything. And Brad was like, and we're out. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Jesus. But I knew that something was getting ready to come. And the words he told me was, I've shown you the way, walk in it. And I was just supposed to keep walking, keep packing, keep moving. But then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I mean, he just did a big right turn. On the other hand, though, we were suddenly homeless for the first time, like ever, because we had like packed everything up. So we went ahead and put it in the moving truck and took the moving truck to like a storage unit and just filled several storage units. And we started traveling and praying. And there were other churches that Brad had been talking back and forth with. I mean, we had talked to a gazillion churches and the Lord just was like, no, 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 no. And so in the middle of that, we were in Jackson, Mississippi at the time. Brad said, Meg, we have time. And it was the first time we'd had time in years because that was, we had just church planted before that, um, before taking that position that we didn't go to. And he said, we have time. I want to take you to a place that I loved in high school and college. I want, I want you to go see this camp. And when he said camp, I had all sorts of fun things go through my brain. I was like, I love camps. If I could be a professional camp counselor, I probably would have. So I was like, camp, let's do this. And he was like, well, it's in Georgia, about an hour outside of Atlanta, and it's, it's hot, and, and it's, a, it's old. It's, at that time, it had been around for about 100 and, well, 125 years. So really old. And I was like, I'm in. I love old things. I was the fifth generation to grow up in my home that I grew up in. I love old. I love history. And he was like, let's go. So we, we did. We packed up. We'd been doing some other traveling. So we drive across, go to Georgia, show up at this camp. And I'm like, camp or cult? <laughs> that was my first thought. So you take this mountain girl, you throw it at this camp, it's 125 years old, and it felt every, every moment of that old. And, and then he was like, and there's this hotel. And he was like, so we're going to get a room at the hotel. Just beware, Meg. It's, it's old, and it's very basic. And I was like, okay, I can do old and very... He didn't say, like, I don't know. I don't have words. And I really wish I'd planned a little better for this morning because you need pictures. So one day we'll do, we'll do photos. But um, he took me in and we got our key and we went up to our room and it was a white room with a single light bulb in the center of the room and a bed and a sink. Then I stood there and I was like, I, I cannot. No. Um, 
You didn't say prison room. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did have a double bed, maybe. Maybe I had two twins. I don't remember. But it was really, like, stark. And the single bright light bulb above. And I hate overhead light, like, with a passion. If you're ever around me, I never turn them on anywhere. I believe every room should have at least four to five different avenues of light. And they should all be ambiance. So I do lamps everywhere. I love lamps. And I was just like, no, this is horrible. So we leave. And we actually stayed on a couple couches and a trailer down the road. I'm telling you, I think this room would have been cleaner, but I didn't know back then what I know now about roaches. I had no idea. Try it again. Okay. And, and so, you know, um, they fly and they're like this big down there. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think they call them water bugs there. I hear people that know about these things answering. Is that better? Not on? Oh, there we go. All right. Thanks, Andrew. All right. So um, it was just, it was really stark. And I was just like, what is this? And so at first I was just like, Ugh. so Brad won me on this one. He said, let's actually go around and do some photography because that's both of us have a background in photography. Let's take photos and listen to hear stories of people in their individual cottages because it's like a little town. You drive in and there's really big houses and then there's tons of little roads and little, they call them cottages. They're like shacks, some of them. Um, cottages is... is I mean, giving it real pretty, like you're, you're decorating it up, calling it a cottage. But they are old, and people own these. And he said, we're going to go. And so over the next two weeks that we were there, we went and knocked on doors and sat on porches and heard the stories of people that were there. And I was like, why are you here? And they're like, well, I've done this for the last 75 years. And other people were like, I've never missed one in 55 years. Oh, I've missed three when I had kids born in the last 85 years. I'm ki not kidding you. The history that was there just overwhelmed me. And people, generations of people have set this time aside to go to this place. And I was like, why? And they're like, to hear, to hear from the Lord, to step outside of normal life, to sit and to hear. And so it was, it's very traditional, very traditional. And, um, and I love a good hymn. I grew up Southern Baptist hymnal. The first hymn, it, does anybody know what the first one in the Southern Baptist hymnal is? It's holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. So they have a different hymnal. I'm not sure where it came from. Maybe they created it themselves. I did not know one, one song in the hymnal at all. Um, I had never heard these songs. I didn't know anything about any of this. But over the next two weeks, I sort of fell in love. I, like the Lord just started to change my heart. And he was like, this is beautiful. And I had to see past what made me uncomfortable to see into what, what had created generations of people who would come back to this place again and again. And not because they were a cult, but because they were in love. And that they had passed this on to their children, and they saw it as a valuable place to step away from. So for me, having heard this and seen this, I, I was like, well, tell me more of the stories. And I read the, there's a little book that they put about, out about it a number of years ago. 
And over the 100, 100 now, 135, 100, almost 140 years that it's been going on, um, it started off with four men who felt the conviction to share locally in Georgia with the local pastors the good news of the holiness. When we're talking holiness, it's like Wesleyan Arminian. Um, we can talk about some of those definitions later. It's where Brad and I stand theologically. But they, they wanted to share the good news of the word and share that the word is the word. It was spoken. And they, they wanted to share just really grounding theology and train local pastors and local people in that area to be able to teach this. And it was started off as an evangelism tool. So they would meet once a year for 10 days to teach. But an interesting thing started happening with that is as they would gather for those 10 days a year to do this, which really kind of grew on either end and, and became larger. But these 10 specific days of teaching, what happened is that you had people who grew up in this and then the Lord started whispering the Great Commission over people that were there locally. I mean, I have goosebumps head to toe right now, guys, because there are stories of people that, that some of the first women and men to ever go full-time for 51 years to live in China when it was a very dangerous place to be. People gave their lives, coming to know from this little camp meeting, they went all over the world. And now there's missionaries who, who go full-time all over the world, and then when they're on furlough or where they're back in the United States, they come back to this camp meeting in the summer. And so I was just shocked hearing these stories, and it's exactly what you were speaking about, is like if we can, can make a culture here where we see the value of the people at Walmart, and we raise our kids with the value of the people here, then our children will grow up seeing value not just here, but then they're prepared to see value anywhere right? It's why it's so important. But it took me stepping away. Well, over the next number of years, the Lord moved us by the next year after this. My, my first year was just observing it. My second year was doing the children's ministry there, and I did arts and crafts. And um, I became Aunt Maggie, who took over the arts and crafts room for our, the area for many years, I did that. Then we helped to run the children's programming for a number of years. And now we help to run the hospitality for the camp and we run the hotel system there. The irony being that now I live during that time in that exact building that I wouldn't stay in at all. I wouldn't go in there. And now I run the whole building. And we have about 100 rooms in five different facilities. And we work. And it is exactly what, what um, Linda was saying the entire time. The entire time. And if our heart is not in the right place and you're working like that on vacation, we can build resentment. Does this make sense? And even this year, I found myself tired going into camp. I found myself frustrated. I found myself irritated about some stuff that we might call legalistic, which, by the way, in my heart was actually my rebellion. How often do we label things legalistic when we're in rebellion sometimes? I'm just going to lay that one out there. That's a freebie for today. But my resentment was leading me to not walk in humility and honor to those that I was called to serve. And the Lord reminded me while I was there that it was actually a time of stepping away. This was my wilderness to be here. This was my wilderness. And he ended up taking me on a little bit of a journey. What's my time like? It's probably late. Yep. A little bit of a journey overlooking at wilderness stories in the Bible. Because the wilderness, I think, is used purposefully throughout the word. 
so that if we will allow ourselves to grow roots, Christ wants to grow our fruit. Isn't that funny? I loved that little jinger. I was like, Christ wants to grow fruit if we will grow our roots. But our roots, I think, have to be grown on purpose sometimes. We have to choose to step into the uncomfortable and choose to stand in a hard place and choose to stay there. And then as we grow deeper in that, the Lord can then begin to blossom things, if this makes sense. I want us to jump into Luke. Can you jump with me? We're going to jump around really fast. I'm sorry for running a little late if I do, because I'm going to announce that ahead of time. Luke 3. We're going to read most of this, but I might skip some of it, but it should be behind me, so y'all should be able to keep up. I'm in the ESV version. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, I'm going to read fast too, y'all can like skim quickly. Being governor of Judea and Herod being the head head in Galilee and his brother Philip, tetriarch, is that the right word? Of the region of, oh, I, you know, these names always get me, especially when I'm up here. All these places, they were just all over the place. And during the high priest of Ananias and Sapphias and the word of God, this is the important part here, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. I want to just say right there, all of that was actually super important because he's establishing reality in a timeline that you could go back in history and say, this is when this happened. These exact dates, these exact times, these exact leaders, it's super important. Meg just doesn't like get it all out of her mouth very quickly. And he went on to all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book and the word of Isaiah, the prophet. Remember, this is Isaiah 40, that he is, he's fulfilling prophecy there. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see salvation, the salvation of God. I'm gonna pause really fast there because I totally skipped something I meant to say, but we are seeing here that John the Baptist was a voice crying in where? The wilderness, we see the wilderness used, I'm going to just real fast, we see Jesus after, and we've talked about this a lot, in fact, I really want to have a t-shirt made over this design I saw in my head at some point, but after the, the heavens ripped or split open, right, in the word, and then the dove, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, and he proclaimed the identity over Jesus, Jesus, then it says that the Spirit pulled him or took him into the wilderness, right, for 40 days, then we have John the Baptist, Right, who grew up in the wilderness. I was reading more about that um, in here, and there's so little. Like, I want more sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I want more. But, but we're, we're reading about John the Baptist. We'll go on in just a second. Then, of course, we have Mary. I didn't even think of Mary's story, honestly, until this. I had a friend of mine who are, they're full-time missionaries in Uganda, Africa, who are now back in the United States for a period of time. And as they were getting ready to transition and, and talking with their family about it, they're like, how how do we tell our kids that we're probably moving back to the United States after 20 years on the mission field in Africa? And they, so their kids have been there for like long before they were born and they, they've grown up there. And so they asked their kids, like it was at Christmas, like step aside, like let's, let's go pray together as a family. We're going to have a January 1st, we're going to have a planning thing for our family. We're going to just talk about what we're going to do. Step aside. So the kids go they're all praying and they have a couple older teen daughters that are just gorgeous girls in their hearts and their bodies, but just, oh, these insight. And 
two of the girls both came back and they were like, well, we didn't really know what to pray about, so we read the, uh, the Christmas story again. And it both struck both of them that Mary had stepped away for three months to go help Elizabeth, but they had take, she had taken time away to go away. And that as they were reading it, they're like, it's, it's kind of like taking a sabbatical. Mary stepped outside of her normal life and went and did something else, but she was helping the whole time she was there. And then she came back. And they were like, I think that maybe our family needs a time away. I mean, the parents were like, oh, well, yes, actually. <laughs> About that. <laughs> I, mean, I was just blown away by this story of these kids seeing this insight here. And I'm thinking in the story, Mary goes and she's serving someone else and doing something else the whole time, but she steps away, right? She's called away. And then, of course, we have Paul. And Paul says the same thing. If you go through Paul's story, his preparation from being Paul, then the road of uh, road and like the uh, seeing God and all of that, he actually steps away for quite a while. So I just see it getting used again and again. Back to Luke now. We're here. So we're back in here. We're back reading about John the Baptist. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places made level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation. Don't you love the word flesh? All flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. I mean, he's calling it out as it is. Because none of them had had any ability to be made clean. You know, there was no come to the Lord. There was nothing like that. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't rely on your ancestors. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Mm. And the crowd said, then what shall we do? And he goes on and tells them stuff. He's like, do good things. Walk appropriately. Walk in integrity. He walks through some of this. I'm going to jump ahead. The people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And so he answers them saying, I baptize you in water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork his, wait up, his winnowing fork is in his hand and to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. Mm, thank you, Lord, for your word. So number seven right there, we had talked about this. He says the fort that be baptized, he's establishing that all have sinned on, on verse seven. I said that he was like, everybody has sinned. Everybody needs repentance. Everybody needs a Messiah. And then he goes on, and it kind of reminds me of David when you're reading in 2 Samuel with the stump of Jesse. Like David had done so many good things, and yet realistically he was like burning out. There just wasn't any way for them to really have, there was no Holy Spirit, there was no indwelling. It's just like all goes back and has to just be cut off again and again and again. We see history just cutting off. So what do we do? He was like, well, change your actions. But honestly, that's not enough. There still needs to be a fire, a fire that cleanses and separates us, the chaff from the wheat, so the seed can be used. And I think it's interesting that again and again, he says, I'm the voice, the one crying in the wilderness. I'm the voice, the one crying in the wilderness. And I see two different things there. There's the wilderness and there's the fire. 
And we need both. We need both in our life. I want to read, I've been reading a book called Teach Us to Pray by Corey Russell. I had come across this and it really just blew me over. And he's talking about John in the wilderness for 20 years. And then he goes on to say this, all of his illusions were destroyed. All of his fantasies were destroyed. All of his props were destroyed. When was the last time you were in a place, King's Church, when was the last time that you were in a place where your illusions, your fantasies, and your props were intentionally destroyed? All of his masks were destroyed. Who wants to say amen over that one? All of the tentacles of the culture were ripped out of his soul, out of his soul, and he was brought into an entirely different realm. He was completely detoxed from the culture of that day. The wilderness is the furnace of transformation. It is the context by which God causes all the dross all the culture, and all its stuff to surface. We get delivered from the masks and the illusions, and we begin to see clearly. The first day that we were at camp, we have like lots to do because there's like almost 100 rooms. And in the time period that that the year goes by, we have smoke detectors in almost every room, and the batteries start to go out. So when you show up over the first couple days, you start to hear chirping all over the hotel, like the little chirp, chirp that's super annoying, and there may be two in your house, and time is it by like 100. And it's like chirp, chirp here, and a chirp, chirp there. So we really just replace all the batteries, because I just can't. And so I, we're in there working and doing that, and doing different things, and then other workers start to show up, because we show up early to kind of prepare for this, and the other workers who are doing the camp show up, and there was this beautiful family that had driven in from Michigan, and, and she was the, the lead speaker, one of the lead speakers for the youth camp this year. I think I didn't really say this, that this camp goes from birth to the other end. Like, it's literally a separate camp for each group, okay? So, there's a full youth camp that's happening where you can check your kids in. It's beautiful. They live in dorms. They feed them it's a really nice situation for me. And so, so they, um, they, she was coming in and they're staying with us and her son, I don't know how, which son this was. So I'm guessing he's maybe around Cohen's age or something like that, eight or nine or 10. He comes in and he looks at me. He's never met me before in his life. He goes, so where's the TVs? And I was like, well, you know, buddy, we're at camp and we don't have TVs at camp. We don't do TVs while we're here. What? And immediately his astonished with, became anger towards his mom. What are we doing here? Like, I mean, it was just like, boom. I mean, he was done that day. He was done. It exposes our idols when we step into a wilderness situation. When things are stripped away, we realize we depend on this. I need this in my life. The first couple days we were there, we couldn't get our internet to work. (laughs) It was actually, Bill showed up and helped us get our internet working days later, but it was sort of a little like, is this needed or is this an idol? And we did need it to check people out, but I honestly, even for myself, found myself a little like, oh my word, this is a little hard. It was funny because at the end of camp, she came, this, the head, this wife, this woman, her name was Rachel. She came to me and she said, you remember what my son said at the beginning of camp? And I was like, yeah. She was like, he loves it here. He's asking if we can come back next year. 
it was like, it's interesting because we just have to sometimes face ourselves. It's like the funny room of mirrors to really understand, oh, this is what I really look like. This is really what feeds me. This is really what keeps me going. And I think the wilderness exposes it and he prepares us for the Lord. It tunes our ears to hear. His ears were not tuned because his ears looked for artificial. You know, he wanted the the storylines, the flashing lights. He wanted the distraction from life. The wilderness is also a place of healing. Mountains are made low, valleys brought high, the crooked path straight. Did you see this right here when we read it? It's Isaiah 40. If you go back and read it, we won't do it right now. Isaiah 40, every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. (gasps) Where's that from? Also, where have we been reading about mountains for like, we've been texting back and forth. Deuteronomy 11.11. If you flip there really quickly with me, I just wanted to say this. For most of a year, I turn around, and now I have friends texting me pictures of 11.11s all over the place. Oh, I didn't save it. Because the Lord just keeps speaking to me, and I keep seeing 11.11 all over. Y'all are good for like, if we're 10 minutes later, you guys going to be Okay. Okay. I'm going to back up and do 10. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. It's not easy. Who would have thought that they would describe Egypt as easy? But in in some ways, compared to the wilderness they were about to go into, Egypt was easy. There was a different type of provision, but they weren't in freedom. They weren't in freedom. But, verse 11, the land that you are going over to possess, to own. So before you weren't in ownership, but now he's calling us into ownership, is a land of hills and valleys which drink water by the rain of heaven. It's provided for from heaven. You're not going to get to irrigate it. I grew up on irrigation in New Mexico. They take water off the Rio Grande and they irrigate the fields. Otherwise, everything would be dead. There's no natural streams that are running through. So irrigation is where you have to take it and you force it, but you're in control of it. In this, there's no control. If you're going to possess a land of hill and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for, the Lord is caring for it. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass to your fields for your life livestock and you shall eat and be full keep going there's a warning after that if you will listen to me and you will obey me in what looks like the wilderness i will provide for you i think that the wilderness makes our flesh ready for salvation we see the need and the dependence of the glory of the lord is revealed the wilderness is a place of waiting but it's not a lazy place it's a place of preparation So for me, once a year, I step away for several weeks to meet other people's needs nonstop the whole time. 
Sometimes we have people who come in at like two o'clock in the morning and they need their key to get into their room. Other times this year, we had a number of sick people. I was so thankful in the Lord's mercy that our family had gotten sick before July this year, at the beginning of July, because we were able to take care of people and not worry any at all. We could just take care of people and there wasn't even had to be a thought in my head about us catching anything. It's a time of busyness. And yet, at the same time, maybe it's because I'm doing something different, I find myself sitting out on this huge front porch that has maybe 25 wooden rockers that are across the front porch. And we sit out there with people, usually generations older than I am, and sit and pray and listen to their stories and get to have this honor of just being with these people that make this a priority to come here year after year. And I guess now that it's almost 20 years of Brad and I doing that, I would say it's become a pretty big priority for us too, to take this time to set it aside to rest. And in resting, I learned to trust him more. Now I'd said in the middle there that, that anxiety cannot be in the same place as gratitude, that I have to choose one or the other. I don't have to be whipped around by this. I can choose to be thankful. So I'm just challenging us to take aside once a year looking for a place to step aside, looking for a place to do something different, looking for a place to step aside. And secondly, a once a week Sabbath. Brad and I started doing this. We moved um, staff meetings to Tuesday several months ago and starting to set Mondays aside. It's a little hard because we own a business. And so sometimes I feel a little bit like the pressure to like take care of some of our business things at the same time. And the Lord keeps saying, whose provision are you waiting on? Because my word says that I will bring down the mountains and I will bring up the valleys and you will be dependent on rain from heaven if you set a time, set time for me and listen to me and wait on me instead of Megan rushing, rushing, rushing and always trying to take care of everything else. And then I find fulfillment. So if you ask me now, how was your vacation? I would say it was beautiful. It was so good. And I came back so exhausted. <laughs> But it's a different type of exhaustion when you know that you've met with the Lord. Does that make sense? So that was my thought today. I love the fact that we got to have special people with us sharing where they're going. And right now they're in a season back of the U.S. I pray that they're in a season of rest in a different way, speaking into lives in a different way. I pray that over you guys, over the rest of your summer, that you would find a place of rest in community not isolation. Can we pray? I feel like I've talked way too much and let's just pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that the wilderness is for our good. I thank you that the wilderness is for your good. You were alone and you said, I want to be in community. We were created to be in community with you. We are not called to be alone and isolated. We're not called to just run a rat race for no end. But we're not called to be still and selfish. We're called to pour ourselves out and to die for you. Often we're called to die for others too. So Lord, I ask that you would make King's Church a place of holy death. And we would celebrate it in each other. Father, I ask, as we've asked all year, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing, what you're calling us to. I don't think there's any chance, any chance at all, 
that's the accident that Linda and Jim are back today, gearing up for another month of, of feeding and serving and loving your children. I don't think it's by any accident that you call us to take time aside and Sabbath with you. Lord, your rest is different than our rest. You say that there was judgment on your children when they didn't trust and they weren't allowed to enter into your rest or your provision because of distrust. So Father, I ask that you would teach us to trust you. You would lead us to trust you that we would not be like a generation that needs to die off. It's useless because we didn't trust that we would hold on to that now and we would raise up children who want to take that great commission into all the world, that we would celebrate and see our kids run far with you. We love you. Amen.